If you're new here, we've been going through the book of Ephesians, kind of slowly through the book. We're not trying to rush through passages. This is our, actually our 21st message, and we're almost halfway through the book. But we're in chapter 3 of, of Ephesians, and we're looking at this prayer that Paul gave. And by the way, Paul prayed for these Ephesian believers. And last week of this service, somebody sent me a text and said, that he had heard from a friend years ago, a quote that he's never forgotten. It goes something like this. If the quality of my spiritual life were dependent on your prayers for me, what would my life look like? Think about that. If the, if, if the spiritual life of your spouse depended on the, the quality of your prayers for them, or your kids, the spiritual life of your kids, or your friend was dependent upon your prayers for that person, what would their spiritual life look like? And so Paul encourages us and gives us some very specific things to pray for. So let's listen to this scripture here. For this reason, he says, starting with um, chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You know, one of the things I I observe about this prayer is that how a person prays tells you a lot about how they view God. I mean, if, if if you listen to a person pray, you will discover a lot about that person. For example, it will reveal what they, what they think about God. Is he approachable? Is he a father? Is he stiff? Is he distant? Is he close? What is God like? Is God capable? Is God strong? Is God good? That will come forth in their prayers. We also find when a person prays, we, it's revealed what's most important to them. What's really most important? Is it the physical things, the success of their job? Is it, is it their health? Is it, is it their finances? What's most important to them? Or is it higher things? Is it, is it spiritual things? Is it the, the character and the development of Christ within them? What's most important to them? Those things come out in a prayer. And so when Paul prays, Paul focuses on the condition of the soul. He's focusing on the condition of the inward person because he's concerned that they may become stagnant in their spiritual growth. Because God has so much more to do for them than just save them from their sins. See, God has so much more to give to you and me, but you only will get as much as you can handle. You'll only be able to receive what you have the capacity to receive. Now think about this. When our kids are little, and we ask them to help us bring in the groceries. So you've got a 4-year-old and a 10-year-old and a 16-year-old, and they come out to the car, and you decide what bags to give to each of the kids. You don't give that 4-year-old a gallon of milk. Now that kid's going to go, boom, you know, right down to the ground because they can't carry that gallon of milk. But you say, here, carry the bag of chips or the loaf of bread because that's what they can carry. Ten-year-old may get some vegetables and some things that are a little heavier. You know, your teenager, you load them up with the cases of, of soft drinks or the, the two gallons of milk. You know, you're strong, son. Take this, take this. Take the big bag in because you got muscles. And so you give them according to what they can handle. And I believe that God has so much more to give to you and me. But the problem is this. Some of us have, have very limited capacity for what God has to give us. And so this prayer is a great prayer because it reminds us what needs to happen for us to increase our capacity. Each request that Paul gives, he gives four requests, 
And it's easy to identify them because they each begin with the word that. So we're going to look at each of those. The first request is this. He prays for inner strength. He says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Remember last week I said there is an outer being and an inner being. We are composed of two parts. Now they are intertwined in many ways, inseparable in many ways, except there's coming a time when they will separate at death. And your body will go in a grave and your spirit will go on to live. And that's why Paul tells us that outwardly we're getting older, we're getting weaker, we're wasting away day by day, but inwardly we're being renewed day by day. You can grow older on the outside and younger on the inside. There is an inner person. This inner person is your mind, your heart, your spirit, you know, the will, all the things that are kind of invisible that dwell within you. It's the, it's the person in you that sometimes coaches the body to get to work. You know, when your body's getting tired and you go, okay, suck it up, let's get going, let's get moving, it's your spirit talking to your body. Because there's a part of you that says we can rise above the physical at this moment. And you, know, you can tell often in sports that it's not the most physically fit team that wins. It's not the most skillful team that wins. It's the team with the most what? Heart. Hungriest team. The team with the drive. Those are inner qualities. And so what Paul's praying for is, is what's inside and praying for what's inside of you. Why, why is he praying for this? Why does he say right off the bat, I, I pray that your strength would be increased? Because if you've tried to follow Jesus closely, you know already it takes strength. It takes strength to follow Jesus. It is not easy. I never tell anyone it's easy to follow Jesus. Hey, accept Jesus and your life will become easy. No, it's, actually it's the opposite. Your life will get harder. It'll get better, but it'll get harder. It's, it's difficult because you're going against the current of the culture. You've got spiritual opposition. Not only do you have people who don't like what God's doing in your life, but you have a spiritual army called demons and led by Satan who's against you. And so there's this opposition that's fighting against you. You need strength, and we'll, we'll see that real clearly in chapter 6. You need strength to stand up against the powers that are against you. And the things that God wants to do are, are to strengthen us on the inside because that's where the real battlefield is. I know we're tempted by, by food and, and lust and... Uh, materialism, the physical things, but the real big battles in our lives, I, I believe, are the internal battles of pride and bitterness and unforgiveness and jealousy and all those things that eat away inside of a person. We need spiritual strength, and that spiritual strength comes from the Lord's presence in our lives through the Holy Spirit. We learn in chapter 1, when Paul's talking about the Holy Spirit, he says that, that the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God, he's living in you. That's power. Dunamis, like dynamite. There's power in you. He says you have that power dwelling in you, and you need to access that power. You need strength. Paul doesn't pray that their circumstances get easier. He's not praying for an easier life. He's not praying that God remove all the, all the barriers and the problems. So often our prayer life is like that, God, um, get, get, get me out of this situation. Change my circumstances. Give me a better job. Uh, uh, give me a better spouse. Change my husband. Change my wife. Change my kids. You know, we're, we're, God, if you could just change all these things around me, give me more money, you know, increase my pay, do all these things, make me healthier. If you do all these things for me, then I can really serve you. But I'll tell you this, circumstances have nothing to do with your spiritual growth. It's how you respond to your circumstances. You can travel all over the world and find people in far worse circumstances than any of us live in. 
and have very strong spiritual lives. Your spiritual strength has nothing to do with your circumstances. It has everything to do with how you respond to the circumstances you are in and where you look. And, and God allows us to be in places where our strength is tapped, where we have to rely on a strength beyond our own. We saw that yesterday in the funeral for Deputy Flick. I, I mean, I was blown away by his wife, Rachel, when she went up to the front and took a microphone and actually walked the stage and preached. And I saw this lady there. I said, how in the world? I know very few spouses that could get up and talk at their husband's funeral. And yet she did. And she did it with confidence. And she did it with strength. And, and it wasn't that she was callous to what happened. She knew what had happened. She was very heartbroken for what had happened. But, but she found strength in the Lord. And she had a message she wanted to convey, not only to those in the audience, but to the world. Anybody watching uh, on TV, she wanted to communicate. And it was very clear that the source of her strength was the Lord. He was the Lord of her life. He gave, sometimes you see people and you go, I don't know how they made it through that. I don't know how they dealt with that. You know how they dealt with it? Through the Lord. The Lord. There's a time in David's life, King David was, uh, his, the, the, the followers weren't very happy with David. In fact, they, it says they wanted to stone him. And you can read about it in 1 Samuel chapter 30. But it says that then David strengthened himself in the Lord. That's the source of the strength. That's where you plug in. You plug in to the Lord through the Holy Spirit living you. Paul knew this personally because in the book of Philippians, in the, in the fourth chapter, he says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. I, I've, I've been in all kinds of circumstances. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who does what? Strengthens me. I can do it. I can do it. Not because I'm so great, not because I'm so strong, but because he's in me. He's given me strength. I think back over the course of my life of how many times I felt like I, I hit a wall and I felt like, God, I, I don't know where to go here. Or I just don't have the strength to move forward. I remember the first semester of graduate school. Now, I went to seminary. And in, in, in seminary, a full load is 12 hours. In undergraduate work, it was 17, 18 hours. And I thought, well, I'm a pretty good student. I'm going to take 15 hours. And I'm going to work a part-time job. And I'm, gonna be, I'm just going to be really busy and, and keep on top of it. But, but you know what? The school load was so heavy. There's hundreds of pages to read every week. There are papers to write all the time. And all of a sudden, I was just overwhelmed. And I felt this pressure, like, I can't keep up with it. I, I can't do this, God. And because I'm a cheapskate, I didn't want to drop out of classes and lose the money I had paid for tuition for those classes. So I said, I'm just going to power through this. But there's so many times when I just had to get on my knees and say, Lord, I can't do this. I, I can't. I can't carry this. I can't figure this out. I, I, I'm, I'm at, a, at my wit's end. I need your strength. There's times in my marriage when I was a young married man facing challenges relationally, financially, issues that we face in our family where I said, God, I don't know how we're going to get through this financially. I, I need your strength to keep moving forward. There's times in ministry, many times in ministry, even, even preparing sermons where I said, God, I'm helpless. I don't, I don't have it. Sometimes on Sunday morning I wake up, I'd rather stay home today, Lord. I'm tired. I need your strength. And you know what? God comes through time and time again. Comes through with strength. In the book of Isaiah is an incredible promise. Speaks of God. He gives power to the faint. To those who say, God, I'm ready to pass out. He says, I give power to you. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord, that's prayer. 
I'm looking to the Lord. I'm relying on it. Does it just mean I'm weak and I'm a vacuum waiting to be filled? It says, I'm looking to you to fill me. Those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. There is strength available from the Lord. God wants to give it to us, and he says he'll give it. He'll give it freely. He will grant it to us according to his riches in glory. Now, that's an interesting phrase, according to his riches in glory. I like how Warren Wearsby, he's a Bible scholar and teacher. He says that if a billionaire gave you $100, he would be giving you out of his riches. But if he gave you a million dollars, that would be a gift according to his riches. That would be in proportion to his riches. What Paul's saying is God's not going to flip you a, a, a dime over here. God is going to give you according to who he is, the power that's his. He's going to share with you according to his riches in glory. We need his strength. He goes on to this next request that Jesus would preside. Here's how he says it. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, this seems like a very strange request. Why is he praying that Christ would live in the hearts of believers? Isn't he already there? Don't you ask Christ into your life from the very beginning? So why in the world is he asking Jesus to be in their lives? Well, here's the difference. There's a difference between Jesus' presence in your life and his governance in your life. There's a difference between him residing in you and presiding over you. And that's what Paul's getting at. It's not that Jesus is just in your life, but he's, he's really at home in your life. And the word he uses, there are two different words that can be translated dwell in the Greek language. The first word that can be translated dwell refers to a temporary dwelling. It's like a, a hotel room or a vacation lodge or when you go to school. When I went to college, I lived in, a, in this uh, less than great uh, place with three other guys. And the main reason I lived there, because with three guys sharing the rent, it was less than $200 a guy. I said, that, I'm in for that. I can pay as I go. And uh, one day we had this great uh, torrential rainstorm and water actually came in through our window. We lived on the bottom floor and soaked the carpet. I mean, you could, you could, you could splash on the carpet with your feet. It was so wet. And as the carpet started to dry, we noticed all over that room, dead cockroaches. All, I mean, I'd never said, where'd these all come from? They've been there all the time, watching you. <laughs> and it was just gross. I, Ugh, this is the place I've lived, and these cockroaches, there, there's probably more in the, are they crawling up and down the walls at night? Is it, this is really creepy. I'm glad this isn't my home. This is just for a period of time. That's one of the words for dwell. And we've all probably lived in places like that, that are just temporary. And then there's a place where you live, and you said, this is home. And actually, the word here for dwell begins with the word kata, which in the Greek means down. It's, it's like when we say we settle down. It's, it's letting Jesus settle down within you. That's your home. It's a home where you, where you really anchor in. This is where I live. This is where I'm comfortable. And you understand the difference when you have people in your house. We love having guests in our house. And we have a guest room down at a lower level, and they can have access to the bathroom. They get fresh linens and towels, and we'll, we'll make them meals. I mean, we really make them feel at home. But here's what we don't let our guests do. We, don't, we would be shocked if our guests started pounding holes in the walls, hanging up pictures, moving furniture around. They go, hey, 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 you're just a guest. That's our house. We actually had a guest once. We thought it was a guest. 
family member who, who moved in for a while, and next thing we know, the, uh, the cable company shows up, and they're drilling this hole through the outside wall. He said, hey, hey, what's going on here? He says, well, um, we don't have cable here, so I thought uh, I'm going to get cable for my room. I said, you're, you're just living here for a few weeks, right? He goes, well, I don't know when I'm going to get a job and move out. He said, well, we do. We know when that's happening. <laughs> Sooner than you think. You're our guest. You're not a permanent resident. But see, I think many of us treat Jesus like that. He's a guest. And I love Jesus in my, in my, in my house, in this heart. He's, he's in my house. And he's got his room back there. It's a nice room, but I keep him in this room. And the rest of the house is for me. But see, here's the problem. Jesus is not content to stay in the corner closet. He wants, to, he wants to explore. He wants to improve the house. He wants to move furniture around. He wants to paint walls. He wants to do a lot of renovating in that house. And, and so when Jesus comes in, you know, we're all glad he's our Savior. He's a Savior, but he wants to be Lord. He wants to preside over the house. And see, here's the big difference, what we find in, in Ephesians. In the first few chapters, we see all the things, and Paul reminds them, here's all the things God has done for you in Christ. Jesus died on the cross. He saved you from your sins. You've been adopted into his family. The Holy Spirit's living in you. You've got the hope of heaven. All these things. And, and, and that's wonderful and awesome. But he's wanting them to move past that because those are all done things. He wants them to move past it oh, to go to this place. That our, our faith isn't just what Jesus has done for me, but now what he's doing in me. What is Jesus doing in me? And that's where you and I need to be. If you're a believer appreciate what Jesus did on the cross, but move past. It's time to move past the basics. Get to the place where the Holy Spirit's working in you, teaching you, encouraging you, comforting you, convicting you, rebuking you. All the things that God's doing in you, what is he doing right now in you? That's where he wants to live. He wants to be a present Lord of our lives. And so Jesus wants to preside. In John chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus said, this is the last supper, the night of the last supper with his disciples. He said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. God wants to feel at home in our lives. In the 1950s, a painter named William Holman Hunt painted a famous portrait, and you've probably seen it, of Jesus He's bending over and he's knocking on a door. It's based on Revelation 3.20. You might be familiar with that verse. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So Jesus is knocking on the door, but there's one very peculiar part of that portrait in that there's no handle on the door on the outside. The handle's on the inside. You know why? Because the door must be open from the inside. Jesus will knock. He will knock incessantly on the doors of your heart. But it's up to you. It's up to me to open that door and let him have access to every place of our lives. And so Jesus wants to to not be just the guest. He wants to dwell. And so these two actually tie together pretty well. That we'll be strengthened in the inner person through the Holy Spirit and that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith because the more Jesus is Lord... The more the Holy Spirit's having control over our lives. The more the Holy Spirit has control over the lives, the more we have spiritual strength to deal with the issues in our lives. And so Jesus needs to preside. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to the next request, to seek to understand and experience God's love. 
Paul writes that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. He mixes metaphors. He talks about being rooted and grounded. So you got rooted, which is an agricultural term. Grounded or established, which is a um, kind of a construction term. He mixes those metaphors as he talks about the, the foundation or the basis of the Christian life. You know, it would be like me saying, hey, it's not, it's not rocket surgery. Did you get that? It's not rocket surgery? Okay, mixes, mixes metaphors. And so he's saying, saying, on the one hand, we're like a plant that has roots that go really deep into the ground. And the roots become the, the source of nourishment for the tree. But then over here, you have this building that has a, an established foundation because the foundation is critical for everything that goes on top of it. You need a firm foundation. So Paul says both of those are anchored in love. Everything about our Christian lives need to be based on love. That's why he devoted the whole section, 1 Corinthians 13, saying you can accomplish a lot of things in your life, but if you leave out love, you've missed the boat. Everything comes out of love. All of our motivation for ministry should flow out of love. All of our actions, all of our behavior should be driven by love. Everything else in life is going to pass away. The things we hope for one day, we aren't going to hope for them anymore. The things we believe in, we don't have to believe in them anymore because we'll actually see them. But he says, love will last forever. That's why he says the greatest of all these is love. And that's why if you want, if you want to, to live a life that's fruitful, live a life of love. Make love first, because when you make love first, it's the thing that will last. Love is critical. And so he's describing this, this love of Christ, the kind of love that, that impacts people. And he said it's, it's like a, an ocean. It's like an ocean. Have you ever flown over the ocean, ever been to the ocean? It, it just, I mean, it's just immeasurable. It just goes on and on forever. You just feel like this little tiny, tiny thing upon this vast sea. It, it feels like it's bottomless. It feels like it goes on forever. And no matter how much you scoop out of that ocean, it's like you didn't even affect it at all. It just, it's just so much. Paul's describing God's love like that. He says it's so, it's so broad and so high and so long and so deep. It, it's broad. Think about it. God's love is so broad, it reaches everybody everywhere. God, God's love, it, it reaches to the ends of the earth. In the book of Revelation, we find that God's love will reach people from every tribe, every tongue, every, every language. His love is so broad. He says that his love is long. Paul said in the first chapter of Ephesians that even before you were born, God loved you. And that love will, will carry you through eternity. It is long. It is, it is never ending. His love is constant. In Jeremiah, he says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. It is so infinitely long. He says this love is deep. This love is deep. It reaches down to the deepest sinner, the person who's trapped in the, in the darkest of times. He says that love will reach down to where that person is. And I think it even goes within our, our whole own souls that sometimes we need God's love to reach into those deep places that nobody else can touch, penetrate in there so that we can be healed of the hurts and the wounds that are deep inside of us. His love even reaches there. It's a deep, reaching, penetrating kind of love. And then he says his, his, his love is high. It not only will take us to heaven, but I believe it's, it's the highest of all virtues. It is something we are, we are seeking to attain. It is something we're trying to be like. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Strive to love as he loves. It's easy to love people that are lovable. Even pagans do that. But when you love people that are unlovable, when you love the enemies, 
Now you're loving like the Father loves. Strive for that kind of love. Now, we're never going to love exactly like God loves all the time, but it's worth striving for. It's like, I'm going to shoot for the moon. I'm going to shoot for the stars, and if I miss, I get the moon. I'm going to go for it. And if you love like God loves or seek to love like God loves, your spouse, your kids, your neighbor, you know, your, even strangers, says you're going to live a good life. You're going to live an honorable life. You're going to live a life that pleases God because he's a God filled with love. And Paul says that, that we, we've got to have a greater capacity to receive. There's so much love to give. We've got to increase our capacity. So he says, I, I, I pray that you'd comprehend this love. It's not just a mental thing. Like, I hope you just understand how much love there is. He says, I want you actually to apprehend it. I, I, I want you to grab a hold of it. That's what that word means, to take a hold of it, to possess personally. I want you to experience this love that knows no bounds. And, and interestingly, he says, I, I hope that you would know this love that surpasses knowledge. Like, wait a minute. How am I going to know something that I can't really know? How can I know something that's beyond knowing? Well, let, let, me, let me share with you, it's like this. If you're married... On the day you got married, you loved your mate, and you pledged your love to each other, and there were feelings within you, and you said, man, I love that that guy. I love that girl. And now you've been married, say, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and you you look back and go, I don't think I knew a fraction of what love was. I didn't understand love at all. In fact, I've had couples get remarried, like, like renew their vows, because they actually felt like, I don't think we even understood what love was back then. But now we do, and we want to commit to each other. And so even though we thought we knew love, we didn't. And now we know it better, and guess what? There's even more love to know. And that's what I think Paul's telling us. Love can increase. Love can grow. Love, love is much bigger than you and I currently experience. So grab more of it. Get in a position. Allow God to stretch you so you can handle more of that love. Because here's God's ultimate goal. It shows up in the fourth request that you may be filled with God. That you may be filled with God. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The goal of the Christian life is to be full of God. You know, Buddhism, Buddhism's goal is that one day you will dissolve into nothingness, into the eternal. God's goal is that you remain intact but are filled with his presence so dramatically in your life. Now, this theme of fullness shows up in Colossians, another letter Paul wrote from, from prison. In Colossians chapter 1, Jesus is described this way. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. There was a, Jesus was fully God. But then in the next chapter, he says, For in him, Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Jesus is filled with God. Jesus lives in you. God lives in you, and you have the potential to be filled with all of God's fullness because of Jesus living in you. That's God's goal for us, that we become filled with the presence of God. And that we come to the fifth chapter of Ephesians. This theme comes up again where he tells us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. God wants to keep filling us so that we become more godlike, more godly. Now, I must clarify here, we will never become God's. That was the original sin in the Garden of Eden, that you would become a God, believing that, you, that if you eat this fruit, you'll become God. You won't become God, I won't become God. But here, God has two kinds of traits. 
Some of our traits are called communicable traits. They're traits that God shares with us. There are other traits of God that are called incommunicable that are unique to him that we will never share. For example, God is infinite. Well, I can't be infinite because already, I've already been created. I have a beginning point in time. I can't be infinite like God. God's unchanging. God's omniscient. He knows everything everywhere. God's all-powerful. Those are traits that I'll never have. But over here, the communicable ones... God is love, shares his love. God is just, helps me to become just. He's holy, he's merciful. All these traits that, he, that, that God shares with us are how we become more like God or godly or another way would say Christ-like. Discipleship really is about becoming more like Christ, allowing him to fill our lives more and more. That's what God is about. He wants to fill us. Now, this balloon here, if I blow a little air in it, I, and I could say it's full. It's full. It's full of air. But you and I both know, hey, there's still room for this thing. There's more. Yeah, there's, it's, 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 it's fuller. It's full, but it's fuller. It's even more full. It's even more. Why are you plugging your ears, Alyssa? It's more full. And you know what? You may feel like, oh, I, I feel pretty full of, of what God has done. I mean, God says, oh, you got room to stretch, baby. You got room to stretch. I want to feel you even more than you can imagine because I have more of me to give to you. Remember, I'm limitless. I've got no bounds. I want to give more of me to you. Now, someone asked me first service, um, someone's going to ask you, what happens when the balloon busts? And I said, well, that's okay. That's when love goes everywhere. <laughs> See, God wants to keep filling you and me. But here's the problem. That, that I have, and the problem you have. It's the biggest spiritual problem we all have, self. I am the biggest problem in my spiritual life. I'm a selfish person. And the only way I could have more of God in my life is to have less of me in my life. And the only way to have less of me in my life is to have someone or something to love more than me. And here's what happens. When you love someone or something more than yourself, you shrink and that thing occupies your life. Guess what happens when you love God? When you love God more than yourself, he starts to, to move in in greater ways. Really, the goal of the Christian life is displacement. Less of me and more of him. More of him, less of me. Jesus fills me more and more to where my, my, my skin is so thin that when people look at me, guess what they see? Jesus. Isn't that the goal? But here... So I guess I just want to ask each of you. When you accepted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, did you, did you realize what you were getting into? Did you just want a ticket to heaven that when you die you get to go to be with him forever? Or did you recognize the fact that Jesus wanted to come in, make his home in you, to begin to knock on every door of your life, to occupy the entire place, to feel you more and more and more, to bring in with him all the love of God that God has to give so that you could reflect him in this world. Because if that's not what you asked for, you're in, a, you're, in a, you're in a difficult place. Because every day of your life, Jesus is knocking on a door trying to get more access to rooms in your life and you're having to fight that voice. You're having to drown that voice out because you don't want to yield to him. Why don't you just give up and surrender? It's okay to say, I don't have what it takes. It's okay to say, I don't know if I can handle all this. Remember what he promises the faint and the weak, those who wait upon the Lord? It's like, it's like they, get, they get fortified in order to handle what God has 
to give him. God has so much more to give to you than you have already. Do you realize that? God has so much more to give you than you already possess. But he won't give you more than you're able to handle. 